0: Hi, this is Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you to Matthew Week 5. We're going to look at the second half of Matthew Chapter 5 this week. We began last week this look at the Sermon on the Mount, which we're also calling Jesus's Life Management Seminar. We've already looked at how to manage our attitudes as we looked at the B attitudes, if you want to see it that way. And this week, we're going to look at what Jesus had to teach us about managing our relationships. He's going to talk about managing our relationships with one another this week, and then next week we'll look at, uh, in the beginning of the week, managing our relationship with God. Relationships, relationships with people, they are filled with joy and hurt and often both at the same time. How can we manage our relationships so that we can start to really enjoy the people that we live and that we work and that we worship with, so that inner bitterness or suspicion stops overwhelming us so that relationships are no longer such a turmoil, but they can become a source of real joy. There'll always be problems in relationships in this world because none of us are perfect, but how do they become more a source of real joy in our lives? Well, Jesus is the master at managing relationships. You can see it even in the way that he managed relationships. Jesus took 12 disciples, men as far apart as zealots and tax-gatherers, tax-gatherers who worked for the government, and zealots who worked to overthrow the government. And he forged them into this group where love and unity would change the world. Jesus had this amazing ability to immediately sense a person's need, and out of that immediately establish a relationship with people. Just think of the people who he met and immediately established a relationship with that transformed their lives. The woman at the well and Nicodemus and Bartimaeus and Matthew and Zacchaeus. Jesus is the master of managing relationships. And he teaches us about relationships in Matthew chapter 5, the second half. What he's going to do in these verses is encourage us, as he encouraged the people then, to go beyond a legalistic view of God's word to embrace the heart of what God has to say. But he doesn't want to hear us telling us not to trust in God's truth. He's going to tell us, don't take just the legalistic side of God's truth. But he does not want us to see, see in any way that he's saying, don't trust God's truth. So he starts, before he says anything, he says this in verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here holds up the importance of God's word. He says, I came to fulfill God's word, not to put it aside. He says, everything's going to be accomplished that's in God's word. He says, our greatness is going to be determined by our obedience to God's word. And then he says, you have to have a righteousness that surpasses human effort. He uses the illustration of the Pharisees, those who by human effort were keeping the laws, but they didn't have the heart of God's word. And the question is, how do you do that? How do you have that kind of righteousness that surpasses human effort? Well, it's as if Jesus says, I'm glad you asked because he teaches us how the rest of this chapter, and he applies it to relational teaching in the Old Testament, and the heart of that is Jesus' teaching. In doing this, we're gonna see that Jesus gives us the antidote to what ruins relationships in five specific areas. He gives us God's answer to anger, to lust, to lies, to revenge, and to hate or discrimination against others. He tells us how in each of those areas, God has an answer for our lives. With anger, let me just tell you where we're going this week. With anger, he says, you got to make your relationships a priority. That's God's answer. With lust, he says, you got to take your heart seriously. With lies, he says, you have to choose simple clarity. With revenge, he says, you have to practice radical mercy. And with discrimination, he says, you have to seek godly maturity. So we're going to start with what Jesus had to teach us about anger. What he had to teach us about his solution for the kind of anger that ruins relationships. Beginning in verse 21 and down to 26, here's what Jesus had to teach. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out of there until you've paid up the last penny. Jesus says, Painting a picture here of the anger that ruins relationships. And he starts by saying, You heard, don't murder. And maybe you're doing okay at that one. He's, say, he's saying, But you're angry all the time in your heart. What he's saying here is that as followers of Jesus, maybe even some of us who followed him for a long time, one of the reasons we struggle in our relationships is because we excuse what we're doing behind the something worse that we're not doing or that somebody else is doing. We excuse the anger in our hearts because we would never be a murderer, but Jesus says the anger is ruining your lives just as well. He talks about three things here, actually, and they build on each other. He says you have this anger in your heart, and the word that he uses here is a word that refers to sustained anger. This is not an outburst or a momentary feeling he's talking about here. It's an inner bitterness. It's a grudge that you won't let go of. And Jesus says, it's ruining you. It's ruining your relationships. And he says it grows into an expression of contempt. He uses the the word racha. You can almost tell what it means by the sound of it. It's just this sound of frustration and contempt. So your anger turns into a contempt for the other person. You just can't stand being with them. You can't stand being around them. And then he says, you say, you fool. The contempt turns into slander. You wouldn't murder anyone, but you certainly would assassinate their character. And that's what Jesus is saying happens here. It's ruining you. It's ruining your relationship. So what do you do? Jesus' solution to anger is, in two words, he says, don't worship. That's his solution to anger. Now, I thought that would get your attention. Jesus says, don't worship. Jesus says, if you're worshiping and you remember that someone has something against you, go and make it right. That's how Jesus says you have to deal with anger recognize that even in your worship of God, you have to recognize your love for other people. Now, First John reminds us that if we say we love God but don't love our brother and sister, then we're fooling ourselves. And Jesus is the one who first taught us this. What's he saying here? He's saying, make a priority of your relationships. Don't hide even behind worship as a reason not to go make things right with somebody else. In fact, You may not even want to listen to the rest of this. You might even want to listen to the prayer today. Just turn this off, turn the car around, or get in the car, or pick up the phone, and go make it right with that person. Take care of it right now, Jesus is saying, because relationships are so important, and your heart is so important, and that anger is eating you up and eating at your relationships. Nothing is more important, not even church. Now, you may have an anger, you may have a grudge against somebody who has died. What do you do then? but you can still make it right. and it, Almost in your mind, in a sense, you can put a chair in front of you and you can make it right with them. You can offer forgiveness. You can offer the right words. Do it now. Nothing is more important. Let's take a moment to pray together. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you made your relationship with us so important. You came and gave your life for us. And you want to give life to us. You want to give life to our relationships. And... Help us, Lord, we pray, to hear your teaching in those places where a bitterness has settled in or a slander has settled into our lives. Lord, we don't want to live that kind of way. We want to live your kind of way. So help us to go and make right, make things right with that person, to be reconciled with that person. Because, Lord, we know that that's part of being reconciled with you on a day-to-day basis, living in relationship with you. Thank you for loving us strengthen us to love one another, we pray. In your name we pray, amen. Tomorrow we're gonna look together at what Jesus had to teach us is his solution for lust.